0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Colorado Rockies started off pretty well. A bit of a surprise, right? They take their first two against the San Diego Padres. And who knows, maybe they look like they were going to surprise a little bit. Find themselves in first place in the West temporarily. And then reality hits, and you have to face the juggernauts that are the Los Angeles Dodgers, in which the Rockies uh, find themselves. Of course, you know they get they get swept in the short series. Uh, they lose the last to San Diego. They come back to Denver, a two and four limping, uh, a little bit, before their opening date tomorrow against Washington. Joining us now to talk about it is from the Denver Gazette, Danielle Allen Tuck, you can find her on Twitter, the underscore Allen Tuck. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thanks
1: for having me.
0: So, this first six games for the Rockets, obviously against the two best teams in their division, two teams that are uh, favorites to go to the World Series out of the West, what did we learn, if anything, about this team? They come back 2-4, and four, but they do surprise in the early going. You get a good start out of Marquez, a good start out of Freeland. CJ Crone wins the first uh, NL player of the week. Uh, are there reasons for optimism for this team coming into opening day? And what would optimism look like for this team too?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, not much optimism there, to be honest. Uh, I think we learned this team is exactly who everybody thought they were. You know, when Kyle Freeland starts and Herman Marquez starts, they have a chance to win. If, you know, the offense can get a couple runs, they're good, they're set. The rest of the days with their other starting pitchers, you're just praying and hoping it's not a huge blowout. And that's exactly what happened all weekend. Um, obviously, Marquez lost last night, but didn't pitch bad enough to necessarily deserve that loss. But,
2: I mean, a little off
1: news if you wanted. DJ Clones still looks good. Chris Bryant has a hit in every game. And Ezekiel Tobar, the young prospect shortstop, I mean, he's looks pretty good on defense, but not quite there at the plate yet.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's always a tendency, Danielle, with the Rockies to uh... – perhaps overrate their hitting a little bit, and especially on the road, hasn't hitting been as much of an issue as pitching has been. And I'm, I'm not talking about 13-4 to four Monday night. I'm talking more about last night. And I know he gave up some solo home runs, but I didn't think Marquez pitched badly. And even if he hadn't given up more than one run, they were in trouble when he left the game because they hadn't scored any. And to me, I know Bud Black talked about walks and having to clean that up. And certainly in some of the games, that's been an issue. But uh, isn't the offense overall kind of a sustaining (laughs) sort of uh, concern? I mean, at this point in the year, this
1: is the best the offense is going to look because they haven't come to Denver yet. So they don't have that altitude hangover. So the fact that they couldn't do it in the first road trip of the year is concerning. Um, But from my vantage point, if you don't have good starting pitching, you don't have have a chance to win games. So when they don't have those two guys, Marquez and Freeland, having good games, it doesn't matter how many runs you get most of the time. It's not going to make a difference.
0: That's a really good point you made, Danielle, because the, the statistics show that very clearly, that, that that altitude hangover that you talked about when they leave Coors Field, especially statistically, and now you start seeing more break on the pitches that the Rockies tend to, to have uh, road trips that are problematic and then they start really bad and then they maybe slowly get better. And so that's an interesting point that they open on the road and they're relatively healthy. This is probably as good as that offense may look with the exception of maybe a young player like Tovar stepping up. But for the Rockies, it appears that uh, if there is to be a bright future, it is going to be in those in those young players. So when you look at a Tovar, when you look at uh, uh, a Lourdes Montero, uh, when you look at some of those players that are out there or even in the younger uh, pitchers as well, have you seen any reason to believe that, that these guys are ready to go and contribute consistently at the major league level?
1: I think definitely a few. I mean, Tovar has been impressive. Lourdes Montero has come so far in the last year. I did not think... A year ago, when he came up, that he was even close to contributing on defense at least, but he's been able to hold his own at third base so far. I think in the bullpen, Justin Lawrence is, he's a couple years in now, it's his third season. He's a future all star closer. He is that good. He's got such a unique sidearm, lower arm action um, that is just so hard for hitters. It looks like he's like throwing a Frisbee at you, but it's 99 miles an hour. So I think there are some key players there. I mean, We will see Zach Veen this summer, and I think he's the type of dude who's going to contribute as soon as he gets up there. Their concern is that their top position prospects, they're here or they're almost here, and their top pitching prospects are like three years away. Yeah. So if yeah. they can find some more pitchers to mix into the group to help them with the group of you know, position player prospects they have already here, then I think that they can contend and be good. As
2: you look at this team and following up on the matter of pitching, does it seem to be more of an issue with developing pitchers or identifying talented pitchers in the first place?
1: So I think in this case, the Rockies, to their credit, got really unlucky with like a whole generation of prospects. You know, they had, like, four really solid guys who, you know, were drafted six years ago and would be in the majors right now if everything had gone right. Pretty much all of them got injured and are still kind of in that double-A, triple-A area. So, and that, we don't know what they would have been. We don't know if they would have been really good, if they wouldn't have made it to major league level. But most of them never even made it because they got injured, which is just kind of the state of pitching nowadays. You kind of take a gamble with that. But what they didn't do is they didn't – recognize, you know, this isn't a new issue. Players have been injured for a couple of years. They didn't recognize that and then make the trade to kind of replenish their prospects and their farm system to help them have those starters who right now would be at the major league level.
0: We're speaking to Danielle Allen Tuck of the Denver ZD underscore Allen Tuck on Twitter. And uh, look at some of the veterans on this team. We talked about CJ Crone. Uh, obviously you have uh, Chris Bryant. He's got a hit in every game. Charlie Blackman is 35 years old and, and at the end of his contract. What are the challenges for these guys? Because they've been around. They know that this team isn't going anywhere. I mean, are, are they slipping into a role of just being mentors? Are, are some of are they looking to, you know, obviously in Brian's case, it's different given the contract. But in Crohn's case, Blackman's case, is there a possibility that they're out there to get some really good numbers and maybe be shipped to a contender? If you're a veteran player on this team, what's your objective
1: Yeah. I mean it's so it is the last year for Crone and Blackman right right now in their current contract. I think Crone obviously has less of an attachment to the Rockies than Blackman does, just given, you know, their time here. I I don't know. I mean I guess they're making good money and they wanna play well because they're competitive. But I think that everybody's realistic and kinda understands the state of this team. But I I don't think either of them would be against a mid-year trade to contender, especially Charlie. You know, he has maybe one, two years left, if he can stay healthy. I I wouldn't be surprised if he was open to a move this year.
2: What do you think in a similar vein about Bud Black, who is closer to the end of his career than to the beginning of his career? He's been a manager. He's been a coach. Uh, Pitching coach and a World Series champion back in the early 2000s. He seems to have a very even disposition. Is there anything churning underneath that we're missing? Or is your evaluation of Black similar to the one you just gave regarding Charlie Blackman and or C.J. Yeah, I mean, Buddy just loves
1: Baseball. I don't think I've ever met anybody who loves this game as much as he does. He's literally devoted his entire life to it. Um, he is beloved by everybody. I kind of refer to him as like baseball's politician, just because like he's nice to everybody, everybody's nice to him. Nobody can really say a bad thing about him. He's just like that cordial, that kind of relationship with everybody. Um, I I don't think anything's churning underneath. I think that the Rockies love him. I think he can manage as long as
0: he wants to manage to. The job is his to lose. She has Danielle Allen Tuck. Make sure you follow her at D underscore Allen Tuck and check her out at everything put together at the Denver Gazette. We're lucky to be able to uh, talk with Danielle as the season goes along for the Rockies. The opener tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. Uh, supposed to be better than earlier this week, but you might want to bring, uh, bring a layer or two. It is Colorado for opening day. Danielle, uh, uh, thanks for, for all the updates here. We're looking forward to, to working with you this season.
1: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. All right, wonderful. Danielle Allen Tech from the Denver Gazette, and, and uh, you, you brought up Bud Black. In February, Bud Black got an extension through 2024. In other words, trying to avoid the lame duck manager situation, right? Uh, what Danielle said, that it just feels like Bud Black can manage this team as long as he wants to because ownership is happy with that. I do feel that way. That said, you do wonder if things go really bad. year, and we've talked about how difficult it is because of the very nature of course field. You're going to have a day where you're going to play a Dodgers team, and for some reason you're hitting everything and you score 10 runs and you win. So it's hard to lose 100, but it feels like for ownership, as
2: long as they dodge 100 losses, they kind of feel like, ah, good enough. And as long as they don't criticize ownership. And listen, Don Baylor had three straight winning seasons. 95, 96, 97. This sounds quaint today, but in 1998, the Rockies went 77 and 85, and it seemed to be a gots to go situation with respect to Baylor, at least, not Bob Gebhard, the general manager, but to Baylor. Imagine that today three straight winning seasons, one bad one, and the manager is burned out, and for his own health, physical and psychological, he's got to leave. Jim Leland comes in after Baylor. One year, it it didn't even take a full season for Jim Leland to conclude he had had enough. Jim Tracy burned out on all the losing. He could have stayed here and continued to make a fairly substantial salary and he had to get out when you look at bud black he's my age Mm -hmm. he was born i believe literally the same year i was born okay I, i understand you get to a point where you like it they're paying you well there's no reason to step aside but it It's hard for me, and I don't know Bud Black that well, but it's hard for me to imagine that someone who came in and took this team to the playoffs in 2017 and 2018, Mm -hmm. his first two years at the helm, and now has since had, what, four going on five years of relative hopelessness. Yes. How that would sit well with someone who throughout his career as a pitcher and as a manager, to have lasted this long, he has to be a competitor, maybe not to the point of burning himself out on on losing, but even if they don't lose 100 games, you would think another 90-loss season, he'd say, you know, yeah, I I like baseball and it pays well, but what's the point?
0: Yeah, and obviously when... Don Baylor had those three straight winning seasons. The Rockies have never had three straight winning seasons ever since. It's the only time of that's course. ever happened. Now, no, they, man, they, had, they had three of four at one point in time.
2: They, and 17 and 18, they had consecutive. They had, they've had
0: consecutive a couple season. times. And from 2007 to 2010, they had three of four winning seasons. But uh, you're right. I mean, you go look at since 2018, since the, the consecutive right. winning seasons you discussed, the Rockies went 20 games under 500 in 2019. Uh, the, the very short 2020 season, uh, they went 26 and 34. But to get an idea of what that is, 71 and 91 is a 438 winning percentage. Yeah. 28 and 34 is 433. It's even worse. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the next year, 15 games under 500. And then finishing again with 68 and 94.
2: And, and I mean, that's kind is, of what you expect for this year, too.
0: Uh, you know, a winning a winning percentage of 420. Make all the fun you'd like, Colorado people. But the, the Rockies... Are, are continuing to trend in the wrong direction last year. I mean, look at these numbers out of first, Sandy. In a, they were 35 games out of first in 2019. I know that the Dodgers are good. I get that. But you guess, guess what? They're not moving. They're in your division. They're not going anywhere. You better find a way to compete in that 2020 season. Again, we talked about there were only 60 games. They finished 17 out of first in 60 games. That's abysmal. And I know that's a weird year, and you want to throw it out, that's fine. But then they finished 32 out of first and 43 last year. These are disastrous numbers. And I'm not putting them on on, on black because I simply don't think he has the talent. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if he's managing this team any better than the, the talent indicates. But what the Rockies' ownership is creating is something that is... Starting to stink. The uh, it, it's just it's not going it's not going anywhere and it's just you know the, the fish rots from the head down. It's starting to smell because at this point now the Rockies are not competitive. At no point are they competitive. They're in last place in the NL West already, and it's probably where they will stay all year. We they just went have, in
2: four days from first place, right, sole possession, to, to last place, sole possession.
0: Danielle, who's been who travels with the team, been out was out there for spring training. We're six games in. You just said that C.J. Krohn and Charlie Blackman would probably welcome in season
2: trade. There's six, six games, games in, in, but they get the idea. They have been through it, Blackman for much longer than Crone here in Denver, but they have been through it, and th- there's, there just aren't any signs that you're going to do anything more than unload veterans for prospects. I mean, what's the story? Okay, Who, who rarely, if ever, right. turn into major league players here in Denver.
0: Brendan Rodgers was probably, if, if not the, one of the most compelling reasons to watch the, the Rockies, a guy that looked like budding into being the player they had hoped. How many more wins does Brendan Rodgers have? Last year, he had a, a war, wins over placement replacement of 4.3. Let's say he even makes a jump against a five. By the way, that's a really high number. That puts him at in like Nolan Aranato-ish territory when you get over five. I, I don't think he's going to be that guy. But even if does, five more wins, not enough to make a difference on this team. It, it's just not going anywhere. And it really is kind of shocking that in many ways, even though that this team has gone to a World Series in 2007 under Clint Hurdle, another manager who I think, much like Bud Black, likes his job. Pretty happy with the fact there aren't a lot of expectations, and I'm more than happy to manage what I get. And I'm not The going to best and the
2: worst thing to happen to Clint Hurdle was going to the World Series in 2007. Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to him because if they hadn't made the playoffs, and remember, until the bottom of the 13th inning of the playing game, they were destined to finish, yeah, not second but third. Prior to that in season, the division, the and he was going to get fired. Yeah, Clint so, Hurdle had never finished higher than fourth, so he was going to get fired if they. Did not make
0: that miraculous run. A miraculous run. that was amazing, and everyone loved it. But
2: you know, sweeping the Phillies, sweeping the Diamondbacks.
0: Reality just but, says it's, right. it's a fluke. But,
2: but the what? worst Turned thing that happened to Clint Hurdle was making it to the World Series because not even a year and a half later, he was fired right. because expectations got created for not only 2008, but for years to come. Now, they switch managers in 09. They come back with Jim Tracy, who gets promoted. He's already on the coaching staff. And they have, I believe, far and away, even including 2018, when they almost beat out the Dodgers for first place, far and away their best year in 2009. I thought that was the best Rockies team I've ever seen uh, I, I think Bud Black is the best manager the Rockies have ever had, but their best team came in 2009 with Jim Tracy at the helm. A solid rotation, a good offensive team. Tula Witsky and, by that time, Carlos Gonzalez, not Matt Holliday, were leading the way. They seemed to be a young team. They had a great young pitcher. And in 2010, great things were predicted. And even after they collapsed, much as they had miraculously risen from the dead in 07, they collapsed the same way in 2009, losing all but one of their games in the final two weeks of the season, missing out on the playoffs. But even then, 2011 was supposed to be a bounce back year. They seemed to be on an 07-09-2011 pattern of, you know, one good year, then you're down, but you build back up and the long range prospects are pretty good. When 2011 turned disastrous, other than 17 and 18, they've never recovered from that. They've never found their footing as an organization. And in my opinion, Bud Black managed them to the playoffs. I'll do credit to the players. They're the ones producing. But Bud Black's handling of the pitching staff in 17 and 18 got them into the postseason when, with any other manager, remember, Black was the first manager they ever had with a pitching background. With any other manager, they would not have made it.
0: The Rockies uh, on the cover, Charlie Blackman, as a matter of fact, on the cover of the new Mile Sports magazine. You can find that uh, all over town. Uh, if you happen to be going for some wings, you can go to Hooters in town, and they have that. A lot of those are everywhere, as well as the competition there for miss hooters colorado in that magazine so go check that out and uh while well the local nine might not win in baseball you can baseball's back and the push for the postseason is on for also hockey and hoops so make it all count this spring with superbook sports superbook sports the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in las vegas and plus right now you get the 250 dollars bonus when you sign up deposit and wager in the same day so don't let spring pass you by without winning money from superbook sports Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. You know who is winning? The Colorado Avalanche. Now in charge of the Central Division. Fourth crack in recent weeks to take control. Will they actually do it this time? We'll talk about it next on MyOS Sports. And all you get is pain. When I
1: needed sunshine, I got rain. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away.
0: This is Sandy Clough and Chandra Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche have done the work, Sandy. They are in first place in the central. They have it, they have the same number of points as the wild and the stars. They have a game in hand. They have the better winning percentage. They're in first. Can they finally tuck and run away
2: with it? I will say no. They can't run away with it. But they can draw on their playoff run from last year and over a relatively short space of time. I think they can take care of business. Now, they've had some failures within the last month. Last night, they, they don't make things as easy as things seem to be last year for them. where mm-hmm. you could count on them always rising to the occasion. Last night, perfect example, 14 minutes, 11 seconds remaining in the game. They're up 3-1. Even after two periods, I figured they were in the clear. Once they got that late second period goal right. to double their lead,
0: I don't remember, and remember, against a, I an eliminated team, shape. eliminated, and the worst home record in the league.
2: Right, and I know they have a great p- player in Carlson, but the guys who scored, guy who scored in the third period. Who has two goals this year now. Had one, yeah. before last night, Peterson. Peterson, right? right. Uh, he scores his second goal. Lebon, okay, it's the three to two, but within a minute and a half, it went from three to one to three to three, and I, I had confidence that if they could get the game to overtime they have more star power and they'd win either in the overtime 3-on-3 or in the shootout, which they did, but they had to work a little harder than they should have and you know, the goaltender was hot. I imagine that same goaltender might well play again tomorrow night with a day off why not throw him back out there and That's my concern, that they have these stretches this year more often than they have had in other years, most especially last year. They have stretches where uh, they seem to go uh, walkabout just – and, and, it, and it hasn't out cost them time.
0: games for the most part. For the most, part. I mean, the only three games the they've most. lost, I mean, really, since the seventh of March, they lost five to two to the to the Kings on March 9th. They had that game against Pittsburgh on the twenty second, in which they just weren't very good, and then they lost to Minnesota uh, last week. It, it mm-hmm. hasn't cost them games, but you're right that there's there's a bit of a concern there, and I do think because of the injury situation for the Avalanche, they're going to have to win this. Second seed to have realistically defend, and I know this is a. The Avalanche would probably say otherwise. I, we know Nathan McKinnon would; he's pointed out their road record last year uh, in the playoffs, and he's and rightly so. But this is going to be a more difficult run. Uh, that they, they are. I, I'm not sure that the Avalanche in a matchup with Dallas has a significant advantage. You certainly want to homage for that. I'm not sure, especially based on the last time they played. That as they the two teams stand today, that the Minnesota Wild is not a little better than the Colorado Listen, you are going
2: to have to play you one re- of them in the second round, but you want that you to want be to in avoid the second it. round, not the first. Let them
0: let the Stars and and the Wild beat up on each other because that has seven game series written all over it, and you take on, you know, the Kraken. That that that's in what, the first round. That's Correct. what that's what the Avs need to do. Right. So even though I'm I i i have said all year, I'm confident that this team, if they are healthy. Has the goods to win the cup again? I do, even over a tremendous Boston team, as you've had the numbers, Sandy. They've basically played them neck and neck, uh, despite the as injuries for the, for now almost half the season.
2: Exactly right.
0: So exactly they're right
2: for the second half of the season. They've been close. They have to the goods,
0: but y- you do have to make. You need some of those injured players back. I mean, we, we've went over, we've gone over it this week. Uh, you're going to need Josh Manson back. You're going to need your blue liners. You're going to need the top six blue liners to be healthy when you talk about the teams. if you're The Evs are in a different spot here. It's not, oh, look, they made the playoffs. Let's see. No, th- this is this team is, is in cup defense mode. This is championship or bust. And, and to win the championship, they're going to need their blue line healthy. You will need Lekkinen back. You'll need your best four checker healthy. Uh, you will probably, before it's done, need Gabe Landeskog. back. Oh, I back. think so. So and you're going to have to buy I'm them time. I'm not
2: sure you don't need Landeskog a little bit earlier on in the playoffs than than some people imagine. Uh, probably in the first round, you'd be expected to win without him, but after that, you need him back, too. And that's no sure thing. In fact, if I had to gauge the possibility of his coming you, I- back... I, I'd go. I think it's less than 50 50. Right i I'd go maybe as high as 60 40 against his mm-hmm. coming back. Yeah. I, I, I just.
0: I'm not getting a good feeling
2: I, about I, it. I don't get the vibe. Every time I uh, read or hear people who know what they're talking about, who have watched him in practice, and they say he's not days away, he's weeks away. He's weeks away from coming back. And you don't want to bring him back. At 85 or 90%, with any kind of risk of,
0: of, of re injury
2: re-injury no. that would result in more surgery. This is the gamble then they took thre- last year then already. They're threatening his career. Right. Last year, they took the gamble. He took the gamble. Paid and off. And it paid off. He played well and they won the cup. But I think he knew, and perhaps they knew too, that he'd be sacrificing a year somewhere along the line. Hopefully, this regular season year is the only year he has to sacrifice. But you can't know that, and I I would be astonished if he were ready at the start of the playoffs. I would be astonished. With the other three, not so much. Frantzos is also a little bit of a mystery, but he's the backup goalie. Once the
0: playoffs start? Lackanen is
2: skating with a stick in his hand. He's got a broken finger. I think his return is imminent. Uh, Manson, I would expect back at some point during the first round of the playoffs if not right at the beginning of the playoffs. So
0: what the Asni do is by that time, they have the, the game in San Jose, three more on this road trip, another game against the Sharks tomorrow. They've had that break, and that obviously makes your road trip a lot more helpful because you have two road games, but you don't even have to leave your hotel. You can stay where you can. And of course, the next jump, you're staying in California, to LA to Anaheim. So not a bad travel schedule, uh, even though the LA and Anaheim games are back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday. But... The, the Avs have to find a way to avoid that letdown because I don't think Minnesota or Dallas is likely to go anywhere. Now, they have tough games of their own, of course. We talked about Thursday. The Wild have to go to Pittsburgh and play a Penguins team that is going to be desperate and, and is not a bad team. I mean, if you're facing a team that is, has this playoff life on the line, that's dangerous enough. If you're playing a team that team in their barn, that's dangerous enough. If that team has two future Hall of Famers on it that have Stanley Cup rings, and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, or more than that even, we're talking about Crystal Tang. I mean, you're talking about a team that's championship caliber. Uh, they know what it takes to win these kind of games. So a dangerous game on Thursday for Minnesota. The Stars, not so much, obviously, at home against the Flyers. But if you're the Avs, clearly you can't take anything for granted. You're going to have to more or less assume
2: you have to win out. Yes, I think so. I, I think so. The, the, the time for expecting help from other teams is, to me, essentially over. Uh, now, d- Dallas is only 5-4-1 in its last 10. And, uh, you know, they got some help from Las Vegas, beating Minnesota twice, right? Uh, once in regulation and once in overtime, which is, listen, that, that's as much help as you can hope hope reasonably get. hope sure. to get. Yeah, And I would say from here on out, with respect to both Minnesota and uh, Dallas, I would expect, Certainly, Dallas to win at home against Philadelphia. Philadelphia's a terrible team. Uh, Minnesota at Pittsburgh, eh, maybe you get some help from the Penguins. We'll see. It's possible. The, the Penguins are a desperate team, and we saw what a desperate Pittsburgh team looked like a couple of oh, weeks ago. They did it to the Right. Right. So uh, maybe you get a little help, but you can't expect that. And you certainly have to get two points tomorrow and two points on Sunday. And you see what happens Saturday. That's one you might lose. Uh, the Edmonton home game is kind of big, and Edmonton has just as much incentive because they're not out of it for first, No, and they passed the Kings by beating them last mm-hmm. night for second, and that means home ice advantage in they're only, the only They're
0: only three points out of first. I mean, it's exactly certainly not right. enough that they exactly. can give up, and it's, they're the hottest team in the West, five straight wins.
2: Oh, oh, and they've been the hottest. They've been the avalanche Pacific division equivalent for months now yeah they've been they've really really taken off and uh, mcdavid's a marvel uh he's got a supporting cast uh their starting goaltender is pretty good uh if they have to go to uh campbell i believe is the backup he's not very good but listen they they have no trouble scoring goals Uh, no they 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 won with i believe three goals last night if i'm not mistaken
0: yes last night yes
2: they had two shots on goal in the first period and with about two or three minutes left in the first period they had zero shots and they still scored three goals yeah against a very competent los angeles team that's been playing pretty solid hockey i mean even with the loss last night in regulation six three and one in its last 10 games so there are other good teams playing well in this conference and and the avalanche are going to have to uh I would expect them to handle Winnipeg and Nashville, to be honest. Uh, you know, Winnipeg may be a little more incentivized as long as Calgary stays alive. Calgary's right behind them, just two points behind. But the Nashville game, it, it, that's the last game of the year in Nashville. You got to win that. Yeah. So I, I think there are three games that they should win without necessarily having to play their A game. But there are three other games. Against the Kings and Edmonton and Winnipeg, all playoff teams, right mm-hmm. as we speak, as we speak, and all teams with incentive still to win and improve their
0: position. Yeah, until there is an E next to your name on that score on that uh, you know standings board, you are still going. So that's that's going to be uh, the challenge. Those teams are alive. So for for the ABS, I mean, it's. It's not. There's no. There's no real bad news situation. There's good news. They have a game in hand, and they're in first place in, right. in the Central. And by all reports, even though it's not going at the speed you'd like, uh, your players are getting healthier. You're 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 actually right. trending in the right direction. Everything's trending in the right direction, but for it's all kind of. It's kind of like being an air traffic controller at a DIA, right? You're trying to land three planes on three runways at the same time. And that's what the Avs are trying to do right now. When you're talking about taking over this division, claiming that two seed, and having the opportunity to have home ice advantage in both the first and second rounds for sure. And it's tricky; it's tricky to navigate. There's not a lot of room room to maneuver with six games left. And what it basically tells me is that this game tomorrow have to get it, have, and you have to get Sunday. Have to get it. You have to get Sunday. And 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 not and they need you have to get them both. Got oh, to get two points. Oh, uh, definitely. No,
2: no, you have to get two. So, you have to get two. That's just a reality. if you could get one in Los Angeles, get five that'd be five great. points out of the
0: last three games, that'd yeah, be great. That,
2: that'd be great. That'd be great. But the uh, minimum has need to be four to, on Saturday, unless unless you lose you Thursday, you blow the one tomorrow night.
0: You can't blow that one tomorrow night against a, a Sharks team. There's still, by the way, even <laughs> still the worst home team in the NHL.
2: So challenge is there. Eight wins wins. all year at home. And and I know home ice hasn't been as powerful an advantage this year in the regular season across the NHL. You see many of the good teams who are virtually as good and sometimes better on the road, including the Colorado Avalanche, who have been much better on the road this year than they've been at
0: home. Yep, and of course they were great in the postseason as well. So we'll find out. We'll take a closer look at that tomorrow. Uh, Home court advantage, really, I mean, you know same court they just put it on top of the ice it's really all the same place and everything for the denver nuggets uh is theirs if they want it they didn't look like they wanted it last night what does that mean we'll talk about it next on my life sports This is Sandy Clough and Shandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back, Sean Tar. You can follow me on Twitter: S D R O T A R. Sandy on my left, and we talk about the Denver Nuggets, who uh, came out flat—is a nice way to put it—that the Nuggets had, I would argue, given the opportunity in front of them to face the worst team in the Western Conference, win it, and claim the top seed in the West. For the first time in franchise history, with everybody starting the game, as flat and uninspired a performance as I've seen all year, it ends up with an embarrassing loss to the Rockets, where they lose by 21 points. Michael Malone points out that his team said directly he called them soft and dared someone to challenge him and said, nobody did. I said, they're not a soft team, but they were soft tonight. I agree completely. Uh, Jokic got 25 minutes, put up 14 points, 10 boards, 4 assists. Uh, He didn't look great. And as Jokic Jokic himself said, I felt good. I didn't play good. Jamal Murray uh, aggravated that sprained right thumb that he's been dealing with for a while. So only nine minutes on the floor for Murray. Uh, Your worry, Sandy, and I think it's very, it's just, is the fact that this team has not played good basketball for a while. And even though they are almost certainly going to walk away with the top seed in the West, at some point this isn't the golden state warriors who have four rings and understand oh it's playoff time here's how we handle it and they get wiggins back all yeah.
2: right uh, there's no but there's, there's a who's out now right and has been out for an extended period but i current, worry about who's the mentality riding in come playoffs yeah time. so you
0: see the the warriors They're i relatively know, healthy they've been wobbly i get it but when the if the warriors come into the, the playoffs healthy they know how to, it's like, playoff time. We know how to flip a switch. The Denver Nuggets no. don't. And, and there's a real concern that if this team doesn't play well to end, end this, the this season, they may not be able to flip that switch. At the same time, there's no reason to risk the health of Nicole Jokic and to a lesser extent, Jamal Murray.
2: So no. what do you do? It's tricky. And let's bottom line, Denver's got three left. Denver could lose all three. And unless Memphis wins at New Orleans, wins at Milwaukee, and wins at Oklahoma City, which may be playing for a play-in spot, not a playoff spot, a play-in spot, unless they win all three games and all three are on the road for Memphis, the Nuggets could lose all three and still get in as the number one seed. I mean, the Nuggets may clinch that seed tonight. If the Grizzlies lose to the Pelicans, that's it. Absolutely. And the Pelicans are favored. Are favored. And listen, New Orleans is eighth. Now, I don't know if it makes that much difference if you finish eighth or ninth. The the only difference would be that if you finish eighth and you go on the road to play the seventh-place team and you win that game, you don't have to win another game. If you finish ninth instead of eighth, you've got to beat the ten seed. Okay, you're playing the ten seed at home, but then you got to win again to get into the playoff field of sixteen. Eight in the East, eight in the West. Mm-hmm. So it's a consequential game for New Orleans tonight. <laughs> yeah, consequential tonight, nice Milwaukee. Way to put it. Milwaukee it may not probably in good shape, but
0: they may not have clinched.
2: But they may not have clinched, and you know it helped actually. It really helped indirectly.
0: Philly to beat Boston.
2: It night. helped Memphis mm-hmm. that Philly beat it Boston. It did because if Boston wins that game, they're right there with a with a shot, not a great chance but a shot at overtaking Milwaukee. Now they basically have no shot and Milwaukee could conceivably rest Giannis. I suppose in that game, uh, maybe a Middleton, maybe a holiday who knows. Um, so I don't think Memphis will win all three of these road games, but it's possible. I don't think the nuggets will lose their remaining three games necessarily. No, I don't either. Uh, because Utah is basically dead and out of it. And yes, it's in Utah, but uh, Utah is right now, 36 and 43. Uh, They can only win 39 games and they play Oklahoma city at home. I believe tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken, either tomorrow or Friday. So, I, I think they're okay, um, but boy, if they had lost to Golden State, if Clay Thompson had made yeah one of those two three point attempts, Murray, at or the Jamal end of Murray, the game, Murray didn't block one, right? Um, and they then went ahead and lost in Houston. They'd be in trouble. Now uh, as far as now the, the funny thing is, thing is you could make the argument that at least
0: as the the used to wind its way through, that maybe the second seed it may be even better anyway because you might not get Phoenix till the second round, and if Phoenix is healthy. Correct. They're the odds on, and believe that's it or not, Nuggets right. fans, uh man, like good. I'm the, not sure the odds on favorite in Vegas
2: to win the West. Right. That's the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, that not is. the Nuggets. And listen, uh I, I think the Nuggets can beat almost any other team, but I think legitimately they would be underdogs against Phoenix. And again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, when Malone said after the game last night, uh, Oh, by the way, we play like this, we'll lose in the first round. Right. I take that remark seriously because it it shows, and I think this is probably a good thing, that Malone is not assuming that the Nuggets will sail through the first round playing the way they played not only last night, but in many ways over the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. They're 6-8 in their last 14 Imagine games. That, six and that eight. kind of the form top seed. is going to at least result in their being extended in the first round, if not beaten in the first round
0: it is obviously a a concern here and i we and, do wonder how and, concerned and, and, you are as listeners to the nuggets you know 303 and about whom
2: line. are you most concerned now Jokic will be fine i think so murray if he's healthy will be fine porter is on a pretty nice roll mm-hmm. right now the two guys in the starting lineup who clearly were singled out, even though they weren't named specifically by Malone last night, when he took the starters out with five and a half minutes to go in a game. said, I've seen it. You're all coming out. But the two guys who were just not even close to being good enough were Caldwell Pope and Gordon. And Gordon, since coming back from the injury, which sort of coincides with the six and eight stretch. They're in the Mets up right now. Yeah, He hasn't been good enough. It, it, Gordon playing the way Gordon is playing now. It, it, the, those two. The, the other three guys I trust. But there are times this year where I thought, other than Jokic, Gordon might have been their best player and certainly no worse than the third player before his injury. And now what? when I hear him talk, he's saying, well, you know, I, I, I feel okay, but there seem to be still some lingering effects. And, you know, he had decent box score numbers last night. A couple of weeks, his defense has been great.
0: I can't argue with it. I, I, I do think that Gordon, the challenge with Gordon at times as a player, and, that, and this is not just with the Nuggets. Uh, that It had been that way with the Magic as well. He's a great sort of glue player. The teammates love him. He, he chips in on everything, and that's not to be underrated. But Gordon primarily appears to function in a space in which he is primarily a passive player. And when he is passive, you see him out there at the three-point line lingering. And you see teams leave him completely alone. And in the playoffs, will start. They will simply dare Aaron Gordon to take a three. They'll leave him alone. They will. They will send another person to go stay on Jokic or somebody else, and they'll leave Gordon completely alone.
2: You, you charted his recent three-point yeah. field goal percentage. and has not been good. It has not been good. And, and he's shooting them. And teams are letting they're him. They're literally him. letting classic him shoot. example of when you say, "Well, I'm open." There's a reason you're open. They want you to they take the three. They want him to shoot, yes. They so, don't want him moving in They don't, want him, in the cutting, they don't want him taking backdoor cuts. They don't want him slashing they, with the rim. That's what they don't, want, what they don't want him to do. They're and, fine and, if he wants to sit out there and shoot threes or 20-foot jumpers
0: Gordon, from the wings. when he's good, is doing all of that. Gordon, when he is more passive and taking... It's, it's sort of an odd sort of tau of Aaron Gordon. When he is taking what the game gives him... He's fine, but he's not special. He's special when he dictates how the game comes to him. And that's a shift that the Nuggets are going to need if they are going to be able to be championship contender. We'll find out. They face the Suns tomorrow. We'll find out what the Nuggets do. We'll find out what the Avalanche do. Both teams in pretty good position. Now it's a matter of finishing strong. Thanks to Dr. Rick Pereira for joining us. If you missed any part of the program, you can... Catch it on milehighsports.com or on the free Mile High Sports app. Danielle Tuck joined us from the Denver Gazette. Make sure you check her out at D underscore Allentuck. Yeah, in the booth, Danny Bailey, who helped me remember our text line when uh, Dr. Rick was getting in my head. <laughs> and uh, Andrew, Andrew Duffer in the booth putting all the video together. You can always check that out as well at Mile High Sports. We're going to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive, Anil LaPero Cordy Rourke, coming up in just a moment for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Jotar. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Mile High Sports. Another one bites the dust, and another one, and another one, and another one bites the dust. Hey, gonna get
1: another
0: one bites the dust.